Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center, which is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. And every single week, we are here Tuesdays at 4 p.m. to help you learn how to succeed in product management. And each week, we pick a different topic, and these topics are supposed to be relevant to all of you who are trying to get into product management because we want to help you get into this field. And it's also supposed to be relevant to people who have been in product management for years. And we bring some of the best product managers in the business to have a dialogue. And sometimes we're able to drum up some controversy. That's always our favorite moment, or at least Red and my favorite moment. I mentioned Red. Red Rusek is a member of the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center. And he is the reason we are here every week. He said to me, the Product Management Center is about community. You have to be where the community is at and really help bring people together. So he got us on here and generously turned it into a podcast. Uh, his company, Apptemptive, has sponsored turning this into a podcast, and that's what that red circle up above is all about. So I want to remind everybody that today's conversation is recorded so that you can catch it on your favorite podcasting app. And that's enough about the Product Management Center in today's conversation. But uh, I have to say that one of the things that Red did was connect us to Sumeya, who is now on the advisory board for the Product Management Center and is here every single week sharing how to succeed in product management. Her superpower is I could call on her on the fly and tell her, here's what we're talking about, and she could tell you why you need to listen. So Sumeya, we're talking about time management. Why is that important for everybody here and listening today? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff, and uh, happy to see all our friends here. This is my favorite weekly room really to do. When we talk about time management, I think it's so important to talk about productivity as well. As product managers, we think about that a lot, about what we get done, what our teams get done, and time is a very important component of that. In today's conversation, we're not just going to talk about what productivity means for you or how you can manage your own time, but I think some of the tools you can use to influence that with the whole team. I'm excited about it because it has both a short-term and a long-term set of implications, and whenever we talk about different time horizons, I think we end up having a really no nuanced conversation. And I appreciate that a lot. So excited for this conversation. I think it's going to help a lot of product managers understand some of the tools available to them and how to think about time and productivity in a way that works for them and for the team. All right. Thank you, Sumeya. And this topic was proposed by our guest, Alex, a PM at Amazon, uh, although he is here speaking only from his own personal experience and not for his company, just as Swati is also uh, speaking just for herself. Uh, Got to make sure we get that disclaimer out there. But Alex, tell us a little bit about your journey into product management and why did you think product managers need to learn about time management? Why do you want to discuss this topic? Yeah, absolutely. So I've I've been a product manager now probably officially for, for five or six years. I, I came really from the marketing agency creative side. If we, if we think about product management of that triad of business, more with marketing on kind of that business side, and then uh, also a bit of the design, and then really have stepped up my game in, in tech over the last five years. And I love talking about time management because it's just a concept, I think, that's so universal. And if done really well, can be a huge competitive advantage. And I, I had this amazing manager in product, and he used to say, time is the natural predator for products. In a large way, we're all evaluated by what we deliver to our users. And so we always need to be thinking about time. And, and so for me, it's you know something that is, again, that competitive advantage where you can be really purposeful and proactive with how I manage my time. 
All right. Thank you, Alex. It's wonderful to have you here. Now we have Swati, who is also affiliated with the University of Washington. So Swati, can you tell us a little bit about your journey in product? And then maybe take us back to when you first got started and tell me about the biggest challenge you faced early in your career regarding time management. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. So my journey in product, I had the fortunate opportunity of working as a PM for almost a decade now. I stumbled into this career very early into my start. I think I had the chance to lead product over at IBM when I first was getting started and the Watson group was getting spun up and we really didn't know what we were doing. I think that's actually the best moment where I really learned the value of time management because it all kind of reflects and comes down into like your ability to prioritize. And if you as a PM and like the person setting the vision and defining the roadmap don't have ruthless prioritization or ability to like decide where do you need to focus, that's only going to trickle down into your team and your ability to execute and deliver. And a great example of that was actually when we were starting the Watson Group. We were given the charter from executive leadership that, hey, you need to come up with a consumer-facing app in the next 18 months so that we can start commercializing this technology. We don't care what you're doing or how you're doing it, but you just need to do it. And of course, you can imagine that everyone has a ton of ideas and people are going to be throwing out, you know, like, oh, let's go look at something in education. Let's go do something in financial services. You know, that's where IBM makes its most money and whatnot. Um, and it's so easy to get overwhelmed and distracted by all of those ideas. And so if you don't have that like really ruthless ability to prioritize or like make a decision or have a framework, where am I going to invest and where are we going to go and start to learn? That's going to only slow down your team's velocity and ability to like make decisions. And so I think time management is like super, super important for not only you as a PM, but then inevitably impacts your entire team overall. All right. Wonderful to have you here, Swati. Great point about the challenges of if you're not careful with your time management. Uh, Sumeya, it's time for your favorite question, frameworks. Do you have any frameworks we can kick off the conversation with about how you think about where to bucket your time? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so I have to say that over the past 20 years, the different tools that have been helpful to me and the different frameworks that have been helpful to me have changed. There was a point when I was really calendar oriented, where I put time on my calendar for everything, including unstructured time, you know, time for just thinking and not having to have an output out of that time to clear my mind and be creative. So there was there was that point in time. And then there is also the place I'm at right now that has a hybrid of using calendar, but also adjusting or leaving open space that doesn't necessarily have to be on the calendar. So what I use right now is the structure of maximum of four hours a day in meetings, two hours a day for something fun or helpful, or creative. Sometimes clubhouse stuff fall into that two hours. Sometimes reading books fall into those two hours. And the remaining six hours of the day are between things for the family and other work I have to do for work, such as administrative activities, feedback, things I have to write down, decks I have to update. And so I break down my day into our buckets rather than I must from eight to 10 do activity XYZ. That works for me right now. Uh, and it has worked for the past two years, especially since uh, we started working from home and I needed that flexibility. But I love the time bucketing aspect. There is one other framework I use, and this is not time related. It helps me focus on what is it I'm going to work on. And that includes everything from goal setting and understanding what I need to work on and two, decision making making decisions on what's in, what's out by, you know, thinking through what's important to me, what's important to the team. That applies both to my personal life and to the work I have to do. And, and there are a couple of other aspects that are important as well in this equation, but I want to share the stage with Alex and Swati, and then we can talk more about the details. Yeah, and this is super helpful for those who are just getting into product management to think about how to put their time. And then also for those who have done it, just to know how others are thinking about uh, bucketing and, and frameworks for allocating their time. Alex, Smea spoke of buckets. In your world or in your mind, what are some general buckets of where PMs might consider putting their time? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love everything, Samantha, that you just said. And I think for me, like the, the, the biggest thing to focus on is really that to make any sort of an impact as a PM, you need ideas and, and to have ideas, you need a set time. And so some of the buckets I would say that as a, as a product manager that I focus on is really learning about customers or, or my users, understanding the company culture that you work in, the rhythms of the business can be a really great way to structure your time and ensure that you are planning ahead of time, that you are setting your annual operating plan well in advance uh, and not just becoming very reactive. Then understanding your product. So what are the data points around your product telling you? What are those new insights that you can learn from the data? Another bucket I've spent my time in is just really learning about the tools and the technology that we use to create the products. That really helps me understand if we're going to go and build something, generally speaking, is this going to be complicated? Is this going to be easy? And then how do I speak to my stakeholders around the potential scope of a project? And then, like Sumaya was saying, was invest in yourself, take time to learn, to step back. But I think really as a, as a product manager, that unstructured, unfocused time is so critical and it's probably one of the hardest things to do. Uh, it's really easy, I think, as a, a PM to focus on the output. And so focusing on, on emails or, or sending uh, messages in Slack and that ideation time to come up with your point of view around a product might look like staring out a window. And it's going to feel a lot different, but I think just such a critical component of being a great product manager. Swati, any buckets to add that you consider putting your time into as a product manager? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Samaya and Alex hit on like, you know, some really great points. I would say one thing that has really helped me is kind of related to what Samaya was saying, where she like was really ruthless about blocking her calendar and like, you know, only scheduling a cap. I sit in probably 12 hours of meetings every day, but given the pandemic and everything going work from home, but, and at first, you know, at first that probably was like, a huge shift for me. And I noticed that I was losing touch with like customer insight or, you know, any like road mapping or, you know, time to set uh, that I would set away to think about like, what are we going to do beyond like the next six months or an, a year out? Because that question isn't going to pop up tomorrow, but you want to know like, where are you driving your team towards and where's this product going? And so a couple of things that I've just started to do as we shifted to work from home is I block out actually an hour for myself every morning where I just sit and like read through like, like we just launched our product Ray-Ban stories last week and I just sit through and I'm reading on forums what are people saying what are people talking about what are the features that they're reacting to or you know people actually you know talking about whether it's on Twitter or whatever it is and that time is so important because you're expected to be that representative of the market you're supposed to have that voice of the customer and especially when you work in B2C, I think it's very easy to allow your personal opinion to like bleed into representing that customer point of view. But without that hour every morning, I think I wouldn't have a really strong sense of like what people are saying um, about my product. And then the second thing that I do for myself and my team, just to ensure that we're not so bogged down in execution mode and just like going in this go, go, go mentalities. I hold a product jam once a month and I do not move that like one hour on a Friday ever. I think it's a great opportunity for your team to just, and yourself to just get out of your like delivery mode and come together and just like do a design thinking exercise to just get the creative juices going. And, you know, it's not that you're going to come up with like a completely novel idea or feature within that one hour, but it is an opportunity for you to just kind of like switch to your mind mindset a little bit and bring your team together. Whoever shows up, you know, is great, but it's more carving out that time for yourself and holding yourself accountable as well as your team to start, you know, continuously be checking in and thinking about what could we be doing better? What do we want to change? And doing that proactively every month. Um, or I'd say those are the two things that have really helped me. All right. We have a lot of people just joining us. My name is Jeff Schulman. I'm a professor at the University of Washington, founding director of the Product Management Center. And we are having a conversation about time management with some of the best PMs in the business. Alex, how do you decide how much time to put into strategy versus execution? I think it really depends, again, on, on the, the flow or the rhythm of, of your business. And so maybe towards the end of the year, as you're starting to set your roadmap for the upcoming year, 
that really turns into the strategy component. And at the beginning of each year, you want to build that muscle to ship. And that really turns into execution. And on a monthly or quarterly basis, I, I think I spend around 30% of my time on strategic planning, communication, you know, anything around strategy. And that execution bucket of running these experiments, regular check-ins with my team to make sure that we're on block is, is another 30%. And so for me, it just really comes down to where are we in our roadmap? Um, but then also making sure that you are always future thinking. And so looking down the road at what are the data points that you might need to get buy-in for a new product or initiative. And certainly when you're trying to get an idea over the line and you come in too late in the year, it can come across as, you know, sometimes a little bit random if you don't have the data points to back it up. And so that's where just always be thinking about the strategy. And I try to set aside Friday afternoons, and that's really my time where there's typically not going to be any meetings. And I can really carve out a really large chunk of time that's going to be really focused on thinking about the future. And then I know come, you know, Monday, Tuesdays, that's when I'm going to get those emails around what are we building? How are we building it? And hopefully not too many of these, but something went wrong. How do we fix it? I definitely agree that, you know, the strategy versus execution time <laughs> commitment changes over time and changes based on cadence uh, and maturity of the product, etc. But in some ways, that dichotomy feels a little awkward to me. And I say that because as someone leading product, for example, for an organization, strategy is your execution. As the person who is responsible for your human capital, for everyone on the team, you're thinking about your strategy for hiring, your org, the interactions between the different product pods, let's say, or the different collaborators between the engineers and the designers and everyone else on your team. So you're constantly thinking about these bigger movements that are beyond just one person or beyond one set of features, which in some ways, you know, falls under strategy. But truly the most, I think, tactical thing that level is the work you do one-on-one -on -one with your team, your one-on-one -on -one meetings, hopefully they're recurring and weekly. And and so for me, at a minimum, depending on how many people you have on your team, you're spending 30% of your time or 50% of your time just thinking about the people side of it. So people versus everything else is how I would think about it as you become a manager of product managers. Alex, anything to retort before I move to Swati with our next question? Yeah, that all sounds good. And, and I love that focus on culture and team. And, and certainly as a product manager who can be so central to a large team and a lot of stakeholders, that focus on the team and culture is absolutely something to prioritize. All right, then we're going to move on to our next question. And I want to remind the audience that this is interactive. It hasn't been yet, but it will be. Uh, in about five to 10 minutes, we're going to start taking audience questions. So if you have questions, we're going to focus them on time management. So if you have questions about time management for product managers, raise your hand and we'll get to in about five to 10 minutes. But first, Swati, I'm curious, you know, we've got moonshots versus, you know, the projects and the products that are right in front of you. How do you allocate your time across those? It's a really good question, something we're currently struggling with in FRL. We just launched our first moonshot last week with Rayban Stories. I think it's a matter of like thinking about where are you as a business and what are the goals that you're trying to accomplish. Glasses is extremely important to Facebook right now. And so investing in that moonshot vision is a must have. And we just launched and we're thinking about this, you know, like, hey, we have so many ideas that are now trickling in and this is starting to get into people's hands, but there's also more ideas that are being generated and more ideas that are coming out from people. Generally, I would look at like, you know, what are your priorities for, for your business and what do you need to accomplish first? And right now we need to drive adoption and we need to be able to prove that there's product market fit. And um, a moonshot won't necessarily serve that. 
And so we're shifting focus a little bit to think about what's right in front of us right now. What can we do to achieve that product market fit and drive engagement before we go chase after that next moonshot? But I guess my, my short answer is, what are the business priorities and where are you as a product org? And I would make a decision based off of that. All right. We're talking all sorts of trade-offs regarding time management. And so far, we're getting some nice answers, but no like concrete 30% this, 30% that. We're getting a lot of MBA answers, which I think are very valuable. But Sumeya, can you give us a cut and dry answer or is it going to still depend? How much do you spend talking to existing customers versus talking to potential new customers as you're figuring out how to innovate? I'm going to give a very precise answer, but because I have to give, or or because I'm giving a precise answer, I'm also going to provide you with the context because it's going to be different in every situation. So my current context, and I'm not speaking on behalf of VMware, but I'm just speaking about my personal experience. My current context is that I have chosen to not work on the R&D side. The R&D side is the side of the house that actually builds all our software from scratch. I work on the services side. And so 90% of my time is spent with customers, working with them on implementing the software that our R&D team has developed. And so consciously and you know by choice, I spend the majority of my time working with the customer and my teams work with the customer. So uh, from that perspective, just wanted that clarity. And then there is another 10% that we spend on proposals and customer acquisition and discovery and sessions with large enterprises where we talk about our value proposition, where we support our sales team. But because we have a sales team that's really focused on just customer acquisition, essentially, I don't have to spend as much time on that side of the house. But we do actually have, for many of our teams, one delivery lead that works through those early conversations at you know at the top of the funnel mostly until the opportunities get figured out and are more solid and then they come to our teams where we close the deal and then we would work on the delivery side anything to add to that alex or swati i'd say i've only put my career in the r&d side and only worked in zero to one spaces and I think what we end up prioritizing 90% of our time with like potential customers. But as soon as you launch, I think you have to make that flip to 60-40 because you need to be able to prove that adoption that I was talking about once you do launch and get really close to those existing customers. But if you're in the zero to one space, my recommendation is like 90 to 10 and moving over to that 60-40 split once you do launch. 40% I feel like is enough of representation that will also allow you to drive your metrics and prove impact without losing focus on what's coming up next. And just as background, can Alex, Sume, or Swati chime in as when for the aspiring product managers in the room, like how many of them are going to be in that zero to one space and how many of them are most likely to be further along? That's a very tricky question. I mean, it depends on so many factors, like what's available in the market, what's not. You know, if, you, if you're joining a startup, you're more likely to work on a zero to one. But even within a startup, is it pre- a pre-market fit or post-market fit? And within large corporations, I guess I can maybe clarify a little more within large corporations. My experience has been rare for a brand new product manager to work on a zero to one product. And I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm trying to think if this was only true in the B2B space or was it true in my B2C experience as well. In the B2C space where we had APM programs, I have seen brand new managers work on uh, uh, zero to one projects. I mean, Honestly, this is a tough uh, question to answer precisely. Swati and Alex, what have you guys seen? Yeah, I mean, hopefully as a as a company or a team, you have a portfolio of products and, and some of those are the, the zero to one and some of those are the more iterative. And th- there's probably opportunities across each of them, depending on the scope and, and the, the level that is a new junior PM that you're coming in at. But certainly... I've focused a lot of my time on building really those those core customer-facing products that potentially to a customer might look a lot more iterative than completely new. 
and, and certainly I've really enjoyed that part of the business. And, and that's also really the, the part of the business that gets to fund the zero to one projects. And so it's still, you know, super strategic uh, component. Yeah, I'll say that my experience is definitely not normal. And I feel very fortunate. But um, for aspiring PMs, I'd say that zero to one is pretty rare. And I wouldn't say should be the expectation. If you are given the opportunity, though, I would jump at it because you'll learn 10x more, in my opinion, versus a more mature product. It's pretty rare. And then, Swati, we had a question on our Product Management Center Slack channel. You said 60-40, you should be talking to new versus existing customers. And the question was, was it 60% new customers or 40% new customers or potential new customers? I spent about 60% of my time with uh, new customers and 40% with existing. Awesome. Thank you so much. So now is a good chance to do a quick plug. Since we're talking about early career professionals getting into product management, I have to share some exciting news. The Product Management Center at the University of Washington, as you may have heard in our previous episodes, we've launched the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, where we have a goal to empower 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities to get their first product management role by June 2022. This is not just equity issue in terms of the economic opportunity afforded to the people who become product managers. It's a business imperative for the companies that they help develop innovations that are more inclusive to diverse audiences. And we have lined up a sponsor, our first of many sponsors, Starbucks. So Starbucks is... You know, they have made public commitments to improving the diversity of their corporate office, and they are expanding their product organization. And so they are looking to hire not just the diverse set of talented people that are going to be in the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, they're looking to hire diverse talent across the board in product management. So we're grateful that Starbucks is showing that commitment and helping us uh, really expand and diversify the talent pipeline through the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. So huge shout out to Starbucks. Thank you for being the first of several uh, sponsors on the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, helping us create a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Now, speaking of more diverse, more inclusive, and skilled product management community, we want to include you in this conversation. So raise your hand. Uh, The only requirement is that you have a picture and a profile, so we know a little bit about who we're inviting on stage. And I want to warn you that we are recording this. The How to Succeed in Product Management show, thanks to Aptentive, has become a podcast. And you can download How to Succeed in Product Management on every major podcasting app and hear your voice that you're going to share with us in just a moment. Sumeya, it looks like you're bringing people up on stage, so we'll leave you in charge of that. And I am taking on what normally is my co-host, Red. It's his responsibility, and he does it so well. So I've put Alex on the spot. He's going to need to make Sumeya laugh during all of this. I don't know how he's going to do it. But Sri, I guess you know what Red does is read something in their profile and make a joke. I don't know how to make a joke about a machine learning engineer and a good cook. I don't know. Do you have something for us, Sri? That requires a lot of time management, Jeff, to be (laughs) able to be a good cook and programming. Sri, what question do you have for us? (laughs) Yeah. And first of all, thanks for inviting me on the stage. So my question isn't like very specific about time management, but it's more of a general question. I'm not sure whether I can ask this in this room, but if you allow me. Let's see if we could tie it back. And if not, then we'll invite you back up in a future episode, but give it a shot. Yeah, so so the question is basically right now I'm a machine learning engineer, but I feel I could, you know, do product management bit well. I don't I feel like that because I feel I have like necessary skills. So how good is a career shift from machine learning engineer to a product manager? And of course it depends on a lot of factors, other things, but in a generalized sense, because my priority is career shift or career growth. All right. Let me see, Sri. That's a common question. And I'm going to see if we could turn it back to time management. So if you are a machine learning engineer, what are some things you could be spending your time on in product management? So go back to the conversation we've talked about time management. Alex, Sumeya, or Swati, can you connect it and say some of the, the things you put your time in that having machine learning engineering expertise would help make that transition? Yeah, I can, I can take a stab. And so I think you know, Sumeya addressed it earlier, but, but really setting time aside to invest in, in learning. And it sounds like you're already within a product team. You're probably working really closely with product managers. And so speaking with them, maybe their managers to carve out time where you can own a piece of the product. Maybe you can own part of the strategy 
you can work with the product manager to comb through the data. I, I'm sure that any PM would welcome somebody who's very talented in, in machine learning to also help with the evaluation of, of metrics and, and getting the right types of insights. And so I think it's looking for what are those product adjacent roles or tasks that you can take on to kind of dip your toe in the water, see if this is something you're interested in, and then eventually start to, in, to make that shift. All right, Sri, thank you for joining us. Hopefully that was a little helpful. I thought it was, and I wish we could dive deeper, but we've got to stay focused on time management. Unless Sumeya, did you have something to add in terms of connecting the two topics here, the question and the topic? I had just a very quick point to add here that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but there's this concept in psychology called disfluency. And basically, based on research, research tells us something uh, very intuitive, but we don't actually use this tool much. And, and the thing is, basically, the harder it is for you to learn something, the more you learn it. So, or the better outcomes you have. So in this case, for example, with learning products management or learning any other skill you want to learn, just from a mindset perspective, don't shy away from taking a harder path or something that seemed like a hard path for you, whether it's going internally within your current organization and finding someone, a mentor who can help you do the, the shift internally or finding someone externally or basically don't be uh, scared or don't let the fear of something being hard deter you from taking that path. I personally, since I've learned of this concept, I've been trying to think about things that matter to me to learn. Not everything do I want to take the hard path with. Not everything matters that much. In fact, I want to be productive and efficient most of the time. But then there are a few things, a handful of things every year that I'm okay taking, for example, a class, making myself do a daily thing, even though it seems so hard to do that, but just something I wanted to share. All right. Thank you, Smey and Alex. Sri, I hope you got the answers you were looking for. Come back again in the future when uh, we're able to dive a little deeper into transferable skills. I want to give the floor to Raz. Strategy, product, and healthcare. Follow your curiosities, he says. And our curiosity is, what is your question? Hey, thank you so much. What an introduction. I do have a time budgeting question. I'm going to set up some context and then ask my question. So context, working on a zero to one product at a you know sizable company. It's a new business vertical that's looking for a product market fit. I describe myself as confidently humble, but most would consider me a younger PM. So you guys were talking about younger PMs taking on zero to one products. I might fall into that category. We only just agreed on OKRs last week. And the current task for me is to create a viable pilot that allows us to test ideas and eventually learn what is needed for an MVP. I've defined three milestones for myself to achieve in you know, my first, we'll say, six months to year working here. Milestone one is to just onboard, learn as much as I can, uh, get some quick wins and develop, we'll say, credibility at the company. Milestone two is to define our North Star and the roadmap to get there. And that's going to involve talking to customers and continuing some, some due diligence. And milestone three is to start executing on that roadmap towards this viable pilot. And so my question now is, with each milestone, and I can, I'm happy to repeat them, but one, do you agree with those milestones? And two, how would you split your time in order to achieve each milestone? I'm, I'm assuming the ratio of you know, working, talking to customers versus executing versus strategy is going to change with each of the three milestones that I described. That's my question. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Appreciate the question in the context. Swati, do you mind tackling this one to the best of your abilities here today? Absolutely. Hey, and congratulations on the opportunity, Rad. Sounds super exciting. I think the number one thing I would uh, prioritize and ask myself is like, what do, you know, I heard learning as your first milestone for yourself, but I would extend that for your entire team to say, like, what do we need to learn first about our users and about this space? And how can I build on top of that? And so I would spend at least 30 to 40 percent of your time chasing after that. Generally, I have found that within like the first like after talking to about the first like 12 to 15 customers or users, you start to hear some patterns that you can pick up on and then take that back to your team to start putting a plan together. But I would extend your first milestone to actually extend 
uh, to say like, what do we need to learn as a business, as a product team about our users and about the space so that we can put that plan in place to start like thinking about what is our MVP going to look like and how can we, um, you know, start to deliver value quickly for these users once you have established that planning. Thank you, Swati. Thank you, Rod. Did that get your question answered today? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm happy to hear any other thoughts, but Swati, thank you. I think since nobody jumped off mute, we'll dive to the next question to make sure everybody gets a chance to have their voice heard, but really appreciate the question. Glad you got some response there. I'm going to do a huge, 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 huge faux pas, but I am just dying to know what a tennis professional wants to know about product management. So we're going to jump to the back of the line here and satisfy my curiosity. As Rad said, he's uh, follow your curiosity. My curiosity is Ashish. What can we do for you today? Hey, hi, Jeff. So I was... Uh... In the audience, I was listening to you guys. So my question might not relate to time management, but I heard you saying something about the accelerator in the University of Washington, if I'm not wrong. So I just wanted to know some more about that. I felt like it would help me in my career. I always thought product management could be a great fit for me. Yeah, so I I would love to hear more about that. So if you could help me with that. Ashish, you know the key to my heart. If we're going to do tangents, it's going to be about something that I am uh, super passionate about and willing to, and spending every waking hour thinking about how we're going to do this. So great off-topic question, and I'm sorry to everybody else, but I'd love to answer that. So we are trying to empower 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities to get hired uh, by June 2022. So ultimately, our goal is to expand access to economic opportunity and help get products be more uh, inclusive. And so we're going to to expand and diversify the talent pipeline. But in year one, with this ambitious goal, uh, it's primarily for people who have already had an on-site interview with a Fortune 500 company, or they've already studied product management as much as they almost as they possibly could, are hungry and ready to go, and just need a little bit of knowledge about navigating the interview process and connecting what you know about product management to be a better product manager and to get that job, to demonstrate that you deserve that job, and also having a community of support who's going to be personally invested in your success and cheer you on. So in the short run, it's really for people who are almost there, and we're going to give you knowledge connections, and a community of support. We've got volunteers from Microsoft, Google, Salesforce, Airbnb, VMware, Starbucks, Amazon, Facebook, all sorts of great companies. And they're going to try to give these connections and help get people jobs in product management. So this year, it's focused on those who are almost there and need a little bit of help. But in the long run, we hope to expand and really help as many people as possible. So Sheesh, thanks for asking that question. Now I got to go to Matt, and I'm sorry to Alex and Swati and Sumeya, and I'm sorry for Matt, Deep, and Justin for jumping you there. But I was, I followed my curiosity. I, I listened to to Rad's profile. Matt, <laughs> this stage is yours. We've been here before. It's great to see you again. Tell us how we could help. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Uh, my question is is around sort of the Amazon tactic of the written narrative that they've championed, and in, in regards to trying to have a more effective way of delivering, you know, kind of the significant trade-offs or, or getting into the deeper details of, you know, some of the larger technical trade-off or decisions that have to be made. Uh, have there been, any of you had success with this approach as a means of combating sort of uh, oftentimes some of the meetings can get into, you know, go off into tangents uh, if no one is, is really keen on to the deeper details of the subject. Is that kind of a more impactful way of making sure that everyone's uh, use of time is, is, uh, is appropriate. Absolutely. The writing culture at a place like Amazon, I think, really helps to enforce. These are the, the facts. These are the data points that we're focused on. Uh, I, I've certainly been at companies where we lead by PowerPoint and it's, it's really easy to, well, it's easier to fake you know, to fake it to your audience that maybe you hadn't thought through all of the details. But in that writing culture, it really forces you to sit down, sit back, think through what is going to be of value to my customers, to my stakeholders, and how do we prioritize and get there? And then you can have really healthy discussions with your stakeholders around the tenants of your products, what are the trade-offs that you're comfortable making as it relates to the the product or the technology. And so it's a really great forcing function to have that discussion, to ground that discussion. And then it becomes a really nice artifact as you're building your product 
to look back and say, are we building what we all agreed upon? And you know, certainly not not every meeting is going to have that sort of rigor or or discipline. And so then it really comes down to probably like the the best practices of any meeting of you know making sure you have the the right folks in the room. Outlook always has you know that standard default of 30 minutes, maybe you don't need the full 30 minutes. Uh, meetings are absolutely like gas where they'll just take the amount of space that you give it. And so try and just be really strategic on what is the reason you're having that meeting? What is the outcome or decision you need to drive? If there is no decision, you might not need that meeting. And, and then making sure you have the right core audience uh, in attendance and, and not a bunch of extra people. So hopefully that answered your question. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Alex. Uh, again, speaking for himself and his own personal experience. Swati or Samaya, did you have anything to add to that? All right, the silence. Oh, go ahead, Samaya. I was just going to add a, just another clarifying thing to, to think about because in the question, I also heard a point that was brought up around efficiency and staying on topic, et cetera. So I think sometimes as product managers, we can err on one side versus the other too much. And the greatest product managers I've worked with and I've learned from are the ones that know when tangents actually create creative opportunities for problem solving that wouldn't be available otherwise. And I know that this is not the question, Matt, you asked, but just because the way you phrased it, it popped that thought in my mind. It was something I've been talking to people about recently. I think efficiency sometimes is the enemy of team building and team cohesion and just like creating norms, especially when teams are brand new. And so thinking too much about efficiency can be detrimental to long-term outputs or outcomes. And just something I keep in mind, especially when I'm starting to work with brand new teams. Having said that, definitely does not negate you know, being thorough in your research, you know, staying on, on topic and focusing on outcomes, etc. Just a thought there. I love the thought because I think we might get some controversy. This is what we always look for. I personally think that without some structure on the realm of creativity, the creativity can't quite be as valuable. So I'm curious if Swati could kind of chime in and say, you know, how do we balance? This is kind of the time management of meetings. How do we balance really directed, outcome-driven, structured meetings versus the need to kind of let serendipity happen and let some creativity happen? Yeah, I wish I had a formula for this, honestly. And it's actually making me think, you know, like I should maybe go back and reflect on the last two years, how we kind of manage this. I think what I've learned is, you know, you want to create that space, just like Somea was saying, so that you allow your team to come together and bond. And that's part of the motivation for me to do this like monthly product jam with my team so that we just have a set forum where we know like, you know, we can put all of these ideas together and like have a free flowing conversation. But I think my experience has shown to me that especially when you don't have a product that exists in market and there's no precedent that's been set, um, allowing those ideas to flow naturally is actually really, really important because you need to give your time, your team space and time to explore and iterate around that. And so I'd say like just reflecting on the last couple of years at Facebook, we probably spent this is going to sound bold, but like almost 80% of our time, just allowing those creative conversations to keep going. And it really surprised me coming from Amazon, how much time we spent into that. But I think that was where some of our best ideas actually organically came out of because we just were playing around with devices and drawing things on boards and um, throwing them against a wall and just like, you know, talking them through and less being a little less focused on like the output that was going to be from that meeting. And it allowed for, you know, that gelling and that team bonding. But I think it also allowed everyone to come together and establish a common understanding of what is the top problem we're solving for and what is our user really need. Um, and that allowed us to really dive into that mindset very deeply. But as we shift into this like more execution mode, I would say that in the last six to nine months, we're only really putting about like that one hour meeting a month right now into that like creative reform. Um, but again, it's just because of where we are in our product development. So hopefully that helps write a little context, but yeah, I, I don't have a perfect framework for this. And so Sumeya and, and Swati, my fear is that if 
even with our creative time, if we don't put a nice structure and a process to it, you know, maybe six thinking hats or uh, some other creativity tools and, and everything, that the loudest voice in the room is going to win out. And so we kind of give too much oxygen to those who are most comfortable speaking out and not necessarily the best idea and the best and creative. So, so how do you counteract that? I counteract it by saying, you know, that does not take the responsibility of facilitation away from you. So one of the most important skills that we product managers have is that of facilitation of bringing many different people to the room with many different ideas and then being able to tease all that out. When we're thinking about brainstorming, for example, sessions, there is work that gets done beforehand. By the way, I'm a big believer that doing brainstorming concurrently together is very harmful <laughs> to creativity. But having people think outside the meeting and be creative on their own and then bringing them together to creative sessions where they bring some of that thinking that they've done, meld it, throw it against each other, essentially shape it and hammer it out. All of that is something that we product managers tend to be really good at. So keep it short, you might allow for creative sessions or for loose agendas where it's really about an outcome rather than at the 30 minute mark we hit this at the you know one hour mark we hit this but you know facilitation is still something that's extremely needed alex do you have anything to add before we try rapid questions no no i i agree with everything that's, that's been said i think in the the spirit of of matt's question the the discipline and rigor around a, a meeting I think is the right avenue. And then certainly want to make sure that as a product manager, you're setting time aside to come up with points of view around around products and then bring that into an ideation session, uh, whether that's a, a one hour or is a design sprint, a week-long adventure with your team. But I think it's you know making sure that somebody going into the meeting that I'm crystal clear on what is expected of me and what is the purpose of this meeting and making sure that again we're we're you know at where our product is and if this is the very early stage then ideation is great if we're I lost you but if I'm interrupting I apologize but I lost audio on Alex hopefully he finished his thought and he did it was the best part of what I've said the whole time <laughs> so you missed out I'm sorry Jeff Alex you did it you made Sumail laugh yes. <laughs> all right mission accomplished and and for those just joining us we set one goal, one of just speaking of meetings, we said, Alex, we said, one thing you have to accomplish today is make Sumaya laugh. And he did it. And the secondary goal was to educate you on how to succeed in product management. But goal number one <laughs> achieved. We are almost out of time. We have to get to concluding thoughts. So we have time for rapid questions, but they have to be tied to time management and you have to pick the person you want to answer it. And it's got to happen super fast. 30 seconds or less for asking, 30 seconds or less for answering. And if you are unable to to do it, just say pass and we'll get to concluding thoughts here. But Deep, 30 seconds is yours. Go. Yeah. So um, I actually have a framework for creativity that I could share. So in the work I've done as a coach, I've seen that there's this framework where you work through going wide, then going narrow, then going wide and narrow and wide and narrow again, three cycles. And this tends to create space for people to be creative and also focus things towards an outcome or a result. 30 seconds or less and valuable. Thank you, Deep. Sumeya, did you have uh, something to chime in on that? Uh, no, I just wanted to say Deep always has frameworks. I love it. Awesome. And we're going to give you 30 more seconds, Deep. Can you just explain a little bit about what you mean by going wide than narrow? Is there any more bones on that you can give or a, a resource you could share with people where they could find more for free? I mean, this is a framework that I've built, you know, working with clients across different tech firms to help them drive innovation and growth. And I find many times... Folks and companies are so focused on execution that they forget to really step back and look at, you know, are we going down the right path? And this is the best approach or best vantage point to operate from. So that's why I always start conversations with a wide approach first to be able to let everybody participate regardless of any judgment or a wrong or right perspective. And then we narrow it and then we go wide and narrow again. And what happens after doing this three cycles is we tend to end up with the best ideas. So that's what I've seen over time. And that's just my experience I'm sharing. Thank you, Deep. Wonderful. Justin, 30 seconds or less. Tell me who you want to ask a question about time management. Uh, this one's for Sumeya about uh, what sounds like you do a time block strategy. How do you make sure that those are respected by 
a large organization not just stepping on your time blocks as they you know try to coordinate group meetings? Uh, <laughs> so, okay, my answer might seem facetious at this point, but I just, if they don't, then too bad for them. <laughs> I am at a point though right now where I can make decisions about my time. I have a very understanding leadership. And so I feel empowered to decline a lot of meetings to accept the ones that I need to be part of, especially the ones where I am responsible for something. So the thing is, this is actually another hack or tactic I use. Product managers, we get invited to so many different meetings, uh, meetings where people uh, invite us so we are informed, which is awesome, uh, meetings where people uh, invite us so that we can help answer questions or provide information. There are different purposes to that invite. And the only uh, meetings that I treat as mandatory for me are the meetings where I am responsible. So I might not set up that meeting myself, but some of the work that we have to talk about is work that I'm responsible for. Everything else I consider secondary and I feel completely empowered to decline it if it doesn't really fit within. For example, I do a maximum of four hours of meetings a day. It doesn't matter. There is not a fire anywhere that deserves more than four hours a day, at least of my brain power, because I do need the time to think. And so I, I do say no to, to meetings a lot. All right, Justin, thanks for playing. Rapid questions. You gave a rapid question. Thank you. And Sumeya, almost a rapid response. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> but Swabi, I wanted to give you a chance, if you have to leave, to give you a chance for concluding thoughts or to let us know if you wanted to stick around for one more question. But uh, the floor is yours, Swabi. Um, I do, unfortunately, have to go back to work. But thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the only thing I would say you know, to wrap up is that time management's tough. As a PM, it's probably the first thing that you lose sight of, um, but it's a really important skill that you, you know, is key to your success and kind of what I was saying earlier. If you can't maintain focus for yourself and on your own calendar, it's going to be tough for you to, you know, kind of implement that strategy for your entire team. Um, so it just takes a little bit of practice, but I believe that everyone can do it if you just give yourself that time and focus and really stay close to what's important and um, are constantly checking in on that. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. This was fun. Thank you for being here. That's Swati, a PM at Facebook, speaking just for her own self. I don't know how best to say that disclaimer, <laughs> but speaking from her own personal experience and about her own views, not Facebook's. But Swati, great to have you here. Thanks for talking about how to succeed in product management. Speaking of, we're talking about time management, and she says we could all do it. And here I am, two minutes over time of what we were supposed to go till five o'clock. So I am failing at time management. Alex, I'm curious, or Sumeya, you usually have a hard stop. I'm curious, uh, did you want to get to concluding thoughts or did you want to give Shira a quick chance for a 30-second question? Yeah, let's go with Shira. All right, Shira, the stage is yours. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for the room. And Sumeya, this question is for you. So I recently read a book, Continuous Discovery Habits, written by Teresa Torres. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I actually just left an in-person women and product manager meeting uh, local here where we got a chance to talk to Teresa about some of her concepts. So my question is regarding the process of discovery. How often, not as like a manager of managers, but how often as a new product manager would you be checking in with your customers? Like once a quarter, every two weeks, once a week? Yeah. Thank you so much for that question. And I love Teresa's book. It's an awesome resource for everybody. Highly, highly recommend it. Process of discovery. That's a really good question you ask because there isn't a straight up answer. If I had to give a framework of any kind, I would say as soon as your current backlog has only a month worth of work in it, make sure you have discovery underway. So, and sometimes that's a little too late. So the, the way I think about discovery is that it's a continuous process. It's always happening. I'm always talking to my customers. There is not a single week that passes by where I don't actually talk to my customer. Sometimes the conversation is centered around features that I'm building right now or features that I need validation from them on. Um, and sometimes the conversation is about future needs or pain points that they're experiencing where we don't have a feature set that's planned already. 
But in general, we have an idea of a roadmap in place. We we have, you know, that three months, six months, year idea, not with a lot of clarity necessarily, except for that three month or two month period. And so you know, that continuous nature truly means every two weeks, I'm looking at my my roadmap, looking at how much I have left of my backlog, how much uncertainty do I have in the upcoming months, and defining who are the other customers I haven't talked to, or what questions do we need to answer as a team to refine our hypothesis further. I would say if you go a month without talking to your customer about discovery of some kind, that's probably too long. Also, as I'm saying this, I know that it depends highly on uh, the industry. So what do I mean by that? If you have, for example, if you are in the in the uh, automotive industry, and I was talking to, uh, to a startup in that field just a couple of weeks ago, they don't need to talk to their customer every month to figure out the features a door or a speedometer need to have. Uh, they can talk to them once every quarter. It depends on the product. Uh, Alex, what uh, do you have a more coherent answer? <laughs> I missed part of the question. Do you mind repeating it, Shira? Yeah, and time management, it was uh, how often do you talk to your customers, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I look for lightweight ways that we can stay really close to customers. Uh, you know, these are a research team, I think, absolutely is able to go really deep on very specific uh, products with very specific customers and generate know, amazing reports, but those those become really time intensive, uh, don't happen very frequently and are not broadly applicable. And, and so I think as much as possible, set up mechanisms where you can stay really close to, to customers on a, on a quick, lightweight, but very frequent basis. And then over time, you build this library of customer anecdotes that you can continue to use and help refine your products. And so usertesting.com is, is a really good mechanism for that. Thank you, Shira. That was a great question. Appreciate you being here today on how to succeed in product management. We were talking about time management and I went seven minutes over and the clock is still ticking. Alex, you made Samaya laugh though, so it was time well spent. Can you give us some concluding thoughts? What do you want this audience to take away regarding time management? As a, as a product manager, we're in the business of, of making trade-offs where if you say yes to one thing, you're, you're likely saying no to dozens of things. And so be really specific and strategic on how you spend your time and be sure that you're not always spending your time in that immediate and urgent bucket. Be sure to step back, set time aside to focus on ideation. And if, if you don't do that, I think it's really challenging to build world-class products. You might mimic some, but it's really challenging to build your own. And so really make sure that you are stepping back, pulling away from the day-to-day, focusing on the long-term vision, and then how to get there. All right, Alex, thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate you sharing your own personal opinions and uh, perspective on how to succeed in product management. You're free to go whenever you have to, or you could stick around to hear Sumeya. What are your concluding thoughts today? Yeah, thank you everyone for letting me <laughs> share all my thoughts. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this topic a lot. I want to share one resource or one podcast episode that I usually share with other product managers, and I've been sharing it since 2017, actually. So it has stood the test of time. And the reason why I share this one is because the the question of time management, I think, hides within it this desire to be more productive. Otherwise, people don't really care about, you know, if they're having fun, where their time goes is not necessarily the question. It's the question of, I have so much to do and how can I get it done? So the episode I want to recommend is by Freakonomics Radio or by Stephen Dubner, and it's called how to be more productive. It's episode 243. I'll share it on my Twitter. But in it, he talks to researchers and to authors about the research they've done and how they have found ways to be more productive. Everything we talk about as PMs around focus, around goal setting, around making decisions and choices, all of that is relevant here too. So I usually like to bring the science into the conversation. Uh, So highly recommend that. 
All right. Thank you, Sumeya, for being here every single week, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time as we talk about how to succeed in product management. Sumeya has also brought a whole group of people together with this The Week in Product, and we're grateful that she's shared her platform with the Product Management Center at the University of Washington as we both collectively with some of the best product managers in the business uh, try to enrich the lives of product managers and empower product managers to enrich the lives of the diverse audiences they serve. Next week, we have a very special Women in Product episode. So Shira, you just mentioned Women in Product. Uh, We're collaborating with Women in Product Seattle chapter to talk about collaborating with and leveraging other disciplines. So other disciplines like engineering, UX, data. We're going to talk about how a product manager uh, collaborates and leverages with these other disciplines. And it's a special collaboration between the Product Management Center at the University of Washington and Women in Product. Uh, We've got some great uh, Women in Product leaders joining us next week. And um, yeah, in closing, I just want to say thanks again to all of you for raising your questions and also for our panelists for enriching the lives of product managers. I also have to thank Starbucks. I can't, uh, I'm just so excited that Starbucks is investing in creating a more diverse and inclusive product management community. Thank you to Starbucks for sponsoring the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator, where we are working to help uh, empower 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities get their first product management job by June 2022. So if your company is looking for a diverse talent pipeline, and if you're looking to connect with uh, some really high energy, we just admitted our first cohort, 46 amazing people that I'm super excited for employers to meet. Uh, So if your company wants to get involved in this, reach out to me on LinkedIn, reach out to me on Twitter, join the Product Management Center Slack channel, whatever it is, or Pigeon. Sumeya, Red always talks about carrier pigeons, right? Is that how he gets a laugh? No, that's it. That's it. (laughs) You got (laughs) it. I'm struggling today, but carrier pigeon mail me. However it is, uh, we've got our first cohort has 46 amazing, high energy, diverse, talented future product leaders. You could access them, uh, connect with them and hire them. And then we're going to try to get 100 hired before June 2022. So that means a lot more people come in winter and spring. So check that out and uh, volunteer, give back, Uh, come join us on stage here on how to succeed in product management, Uh, connect with the University of Washington students or connect with the greater product management center community. But most importantly, be kind to one another and come back uh, next week. Uh, Have a great week and we'll see you or hear you on Tuesday, 4 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks again.